Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound to dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. That's why it says in, in Proverbs 5.8, Remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thy honor unto others and thy ears unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth. Who is this? She's a stranger. She's got her face covered. She's given her all his wealth. And thy labor is being the house of a stranger. And thou mourn the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth. That's what she's asking for the most valuable things that Judah has on him at that time. Proverbs 29.3, He that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. So here he is. He's ready to give her whatever she wants. He's spending his substance. So Tamar now looks at Judah and sees how his lust has brought the strong man down to his knees. And she realized she can ask for anything. He's going to give it. So she looks him over, takes a little inventory. What you got? I'll take that signet right there. It's a ring around his neck. Usually it was with a silk thread. It was what they used for sealing documents. Oh, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Oh, those brace, those gold bracelets. Uh, yeah, I'll have those. Okay, on your wrist. Oh, that staff in your hand, that nice carved staff on the top. I'll take that too. Now, notice how in each case she said thy before everything she wanted. Thy signet, thy bracelets thy staff that is in thine hand. When she asked Judah for his signet or his ring, she stripped him of his identity, of his dignity. Like I said, it's for use for signing documents. When she asked Judah for his bracelets, which were gold, typically, she stripped him of his wealth. When she asked Judah for his staff in his hand, what staff is what they use for defending himself, she stripped him of his defenses. It's very symbolic of what sin does to a person. It strips him of his dignity, of his wealth, of his defenses, and it weakens his soul. And then we see here there's a period after that word hand, which is when she has made her request, period. And now she waits, what's your response? What's your response? It's an important period (laughs) there because the period represents the opportunity for Judah to come to himself and say, what am I doing? And run. 
You know, this is an opportunity for Judah to do what Joseph had to do in Egypt. In the next chapter, as a matter of fact, in Genesis 39, 12, when it says about Potiphar's wife, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. See, when that verse says, Joseph, it says, it's interesting, it says, he got him out. You know, it's like, he got him out. You know, it's like Joseph picking himself up by the nape of his neck and saying, we're getting out of here, boy. (laughs) And that's the time for Judah to get himself out of this sin. He's on the verge of committing this terrible thing. And that was Judah's decision time. There are these times, these decision times, these critical decision times we all have in life. We're called on to run from sin. That's a time in life when a person is called to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. When we go knocking on Jewish doors and call on the Jewish people, receive your Messiah as the Lord Jesus, as your, as your Lord and Savior, that's a decision time for them. Like Lowell's beautiful poem, Once to Every Man and Nation. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. In the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side, some great cause, some great decision, offering each the bloom or blight, and the choice goes by forever twixt that darkness and that night. See, the period in the middle of that verse 17 was Judah's moment to decide. So we're going to rewrite Lowell's poem for Judah, and we're going to say, once to Judah came the moment to decide in Judah's strife of truth with falsehood. For Judah, the good or evil side, a great cause to choose, a great decision to make, each offering to Judah the bloom or bright. And Judah's choice went by forever, twixt Judah's darkness and Judah's light. Then we read about his choice. He makes his choice. In verse 18, it says, And he gave it her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. Whoop, wasn't planning on that. Now, all this, of course, is very dark. It's very dark. It's very tragic. But there's something very precious in this account. You don't expect it, but it is. It's wonderful, as a matter of fact. And all this negotiation, propositioning, and so forth, in verses 17 and 18. And it's found when Tamar asked for a pledge. Because when she asked for a pledge, she used the Hebrew word, Arabon, Arabon. So don't forget that name, Arabon. It's important. And it only appears here in all the Bible, in all the Hebrew Bible. It only appears here in this chapter, in the verses 17, 18, and 20. And it's the meaning of Arabon is so clear and it's so precious when she's asking for this pledge. That's how it's translated, Arabon. And what is it? What is the pledge? What's the Arabon? Well, it's really an earnest deposit. It's like a down payment. It's like a security deposit. That's the meaning of Arabon. And the idea is that Judah has promised to come later with a kid and to show that he is earnest, he's willing to make this deposit of this signet bracelets and staff. And those are the down payment that Judah is serious about his promise that he's going to later pay off. See, that's how Arabon has translated with the word pledge, which is a really good English word, because those items represent Judah's pledge. It represents his promise 
that I'm going to come through in the future. So we see that the word arabon, which has been translated pledge, what she's talking about here, is the security deposit that assures that the promise will be kept. It's a security deposit. Now, the Old Testament was translated, as you know, in Alexandria. It was translated into Greek by 70 scholars. 70. That's why it's called the Septuagint. And the Greek New Testament relied on the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, whenever it was making reference in the Old Testament. And as I said here, Tamar and Judah used this Hebrew word, arabon, translated as pledge, and this is the only place in the Old Testament where this word appears. So when those 70 Greek scholars, Hebrew Greek scholars, translated this chapter into Greek, and they came to this Hebrew word for pledge, they couldn't find a Greek word for it, a Greek equivalent. So what did they do? They put Greek letters on this Hebrew word. And when you look at the, in Greek, it says arabon, only it's not written in Hebrew letters, it's written in Greek letters. It's very unique. They said that's a very unique word. We can't find an equivalent to it. So we just leave it there as arabon. Now that's interesting because the word, the Greek word, or, or Greekized word, whatever you want to call it, is used three times in the New Testament. And it's used in 2 Corinthians 1.22, 2 Corinthians 1 22, 2 Corinthians 5 5, and Ephesians 1 12 through 14. So here's how it's used. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit, God, who had sealed us and given us the earnest. That's how it's translated. That's our bone. Earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That was 2 Corinthians 1 22. 2 Corinthians 5 5 says, Now he that hath wrought for us for the selfsame thing as God who hath also given us the earnest of the Spirit, the arabon of the Spirit. And then in Ephesians 1.12, Ephesians 1.12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you have believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the arabon of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. See, in all three places where arabon is used, it's translated with the word earnest. And that's not a bad word. It's earnest. And it's referring to the Holy Spirit. So a gift in our hearts of the Holy Spirit is called the arabon, is the earnest. He's given us the, in 2 Corinthians 1.22, as we said, 2 Corinthians 1.22, given us the earnest, the arabon, of the Spirit in our hearts. In 2 Corinthians 5, 5, given unto us the earnest, the arabon, of the Spirit. So as the arabon, the Holy Spirit of promise, in Ephesians 1, 13, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the arabon, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So from this chapter in Genesis 38 here, we understand that the arabon is the security deposit that gives us the assurance that the promise is going to be kept. This chapter here is so important in Genesis 38 because it makes us understand that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is our security deposit. It gives us the assurance that God's promise for us is that we're going to be brought to heaven. He's going to keep it. You know, who would have thought? 
Who would have thought that a negotiation between Judah the John and Tamar the hooker should yield to us such a precious illustration? As it does. Yeah, that's something. And Judah gave to Tamar this pledge or this arabone of, of great value. And it proved the sincerity of his promise to return and keep his promise. That's all tied up in this Hebrew word, arabon. So in expressing to us how the Holy Spirit is our pledge, it shows that God's going to keep his promise to us. He's going to return to bring us to heaven. And how is he showing it to us? He directs us back to this chapter of this horrible scene. And in this scene, is so instructive to us because it makes us understand the meaning of the word arabon. All right, so just as Judah was serious when he promised Tamar, I'm going to give you the kid, so God is serious when he promised to bring us to heaven in John 14, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And just as Judah gave the Arabon, the pledge for the gifts to fulfill the promise, so God has given us the Holy Spirit, the Arabon, until he fulfills 1 Thessalonians 4.17, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a promise. And the pledge is the Holy Spirit. He's going to keep his promise. Now, for God to take a shameful contract between Judah and Tamar and bring out this precious meaning for us about the Holy Spirit as our Arabone, that's really Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to the purpose. I'm not saying that we should go to Judah when we get to heaven and thank him for making this contract with us. This is all shameful. It's a horrible event involving fornication, involving incest. How could that work together? It does. God says it works together. Teach you how the Holy Spirit is our Arabone pledge. It's really making God make all things to work together for good. That's wonderful. Now, we see how Tamar, she got what she wanted. She got the signet. She got the bracelets there. She's got the staff. But she wasn't planning on getting pregnant also. But she did, which was a problem for her. But in verse 19, she doesn't know that. And so she thinks that, okay, she's one. And so she goes and changes her clothes and puts back on her clothes of widowhood. And now we read that Judah now, he moves on to keep his head of the promise in verse 20. So Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend Adolamite to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. So only Judah, he does not himself go, which makes us wonder a little bit, but uh, whatever. But instead, he sends it by his so-called friend, Hira. It's important, verse 20, to see that Hira is not named, but he's just called his friend. Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adolamite. So Hira is the one who carries the payment to the prostitute. And Hira is called his friend. Hira is called the Adolamite, which means Hira was a Canaanite. So this verse is indicating to us how Hira, he's not a very good friend for Judah. This friendship, this friendship, you know, God's looking at this friendship and he's saying, that's a friendship that's got to get broken. If we're going to recover Judah, if we're going to see Judah recovered here, that that friendship's got to go. 
So we see Hira referred to as a friend. This is a friend who is not really a friend because he's helping Judah in his sins of fornication with harlots, and he's carrying the payment to the prostitute for Judah. If Hira was a real friend for Judah, he'd be doing what it says in Proverbs 27.6. Proverbs 27.6 describes a faithful friend. And it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The Lord Jesus is the best friend who loves and stays closer than a brother, and he's described, he describes himself in Revelation 3.19, Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, in his love for us, the Lord Jesus rebukes and chastens versus Hira, who assists Judah in his sin. A good friend of David was Nathan. Nathan was a good friend to David when he went to David in 2 Samuel 12, 7, after sin with Bathsheba, and he said, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. All right? So that was good. Okay. Now, that was a real friend to David when Nathan didn't care that David was the king. It might destroy his relationship with David. He just said, you are the man. You are the man who sinned by killing an innocent man so you could take his wife. We need to understand just how serious this was. We're not just looking here at, well, you know, Judah's got a big problem here, poor Judah. No, Judah, it's very serious, and it has an impact on us. Judah has really three issues here that need to be resolved. Because if any one of them is not resolved, Judah is going to be destroyed. And Judah's preservation is vital to us and the world because God has chosen that through Judah is going to come the Savior of the world. So if Judah's destroyed, there goes the Savior of the world. So unless something dramatic happens, Judah is going to be destroyed by the sins of Canaan. These are all we're reading about here are the sins of Canaan. It's not just Judah's problem. It's a problem for the salvation of the world. What's his first issue? Judah's first issue is his uncontrolled sexual passions. Because of Judah's uncontrolled sexual passions, he got a Canaanite wife, he's got Canaanite children, he's got a lot of problems. Judah's uncontrolled sexual passions have to be brought under control by Judah in order for him not to be destroyed in the sins of Canaan, which were primarily sexual sins. Judah's second issue here is this close friendship with Hira. Hira's assisting Judah in his sin. This friendship with Hira is threatening Judah. Judah's friendship with Hira here, it's got to be broken in order for Judah not to be destroyed in the sins of Canaan. And his third issue, Judah's third issue is that Judah has separated from his people. Judah is separated from his family. He has separated himself from God's people to go intermingle with the devil's people, the Canaanites. That's threatening Judah. And if Judah does not return to his family, he's in danger of being destroyed by the sins of Canaan. So what we're going to see here in this chapter is the goodness of God that's going to lead Judah back to God through repentance. As it says in Romans 2.4, Romans 2.4 says, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. All right, the the first issue that God's going to address here with Judah, the one that's threatening to destroy Judah with the sins of Canaan, is his friendship with Hira. So we can see here that this is starting now to unravel in verse 20 when it says, but he found her not. 
You know, I mean, Judah has sent the kid by the hand of his so-called friend Hira. He's given his so-called friend Hira the responsibility. Go get the pledge back. I'm not, you know, no, get, make sure you get them all. Now, you got it now, Hira? There's three things that are very valuable. There's the signet, there's the bracelets, and then there's the staff. But Hira doesn't find her. And Hira is very upset. And in verse 21, he goes to the men of the place, and no one knows anything about any harlot. And then he comes back, and this is a real strain on the relationship between Hira and, and Judah. In verse 22, when it says, and he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. Why did he say that? Because he knew Judah was going to say, what do you mean? I mean, Judah, Judah comes back to, to, Hira comes back to Judah, says, I cannot find her. And Hira goes into the self-defense mode of saying, well, you know, the men also said there was no harlot here. Somebody's lying. Now, we can only imagine how this destroys the friendship between Hira and Judah, with Judah saying, what do you mean you can't find her? You think I'm lying to you? You are responsible for recovering my valuables. Where are they? How do I know you didn't take them? How do I know you didn't make up the story about there's no harlot? Maybe you and your Canaanite friends took my valuables, and you're just saying there's no harlot. So what's happening? God's beginning to destroy the relationship between Hira and Judah, which has to be done in order to prevent the destruction of Judah from becoming lost in the sins of Canaan. Because God's faithful here. I mean, it's good to watch God, you know, when he's over us and we make relationships which shouldn't have, and God makes them go sour. Now, we see how Hira goes to the men of the city in verse 21, and then he asked the men of the place, saying, where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said there was no harlot in this place. So Hira asked the men if they'd seen a harlot, and it's what's so interesting here is that Hira uses a Hebrew name, for a harlot that's not the same name, not the same Hebrew name, that Judah used for a harlot in verse 21, uh, verse 15. See, Judah used the word, he said the word harlot in verse 15, and that wasn't the same word, Hebrew word, that Hira used in verse 21. Why? What am I talking about? Okay. See, verse 15, it says, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot. The Hebrew word here used for harlot in verse 15 is zana, zana, which comes from a root that means commit fornication. So when Judah sees her, what does he see? He only thinks of the act of fornication, and he uses the Hebrew word zana, that means to commit fornication. So if you were to plug this meaning in to verse 15, you go like this. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be someone who commits fornication. You get it from the root meaning of harlot that he used. See, Judah has fornication on his mind, and he doesn't see an harlot for anything else other than someone who commits fornication. But this is different from the word that Hira uses. Hira refers to the harlot in verses 21 and 22. Hira doesn't use this word zana to refer to the harlot. But he uses another Hebrew word, Kadesha, Kadesha. Now, if you think that Kadesha is close to Kadosh, you're right. (laughs) Okay. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the third annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Light and Life Foundation Ministries that encompass the Creation and Earth History Museum, Friendship with God Radio Program, and Israel Restoration Ministries. Come experience gourmet and unique local restaurant foods, and we'll have Bible teacher Tom Cantor from the Friendship with God Radio Program speaking, along with musical performances by the De Lamont Strings. We'll have an amazing night of silent and live auction items, including tailored guitars, vacation getaways, and other exciting auction items. So if you'd like to attend this event, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve your seat. 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. creationsd.org. creationsd.org.